Good morning, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to our pre-year 2022 results first. In today's call, we will cover both our most recent Q4 results as well. We start by discussing some of the longer-term trends that we've been observing in our business and provide some context on how we navigated an extraordinary three-year period in which we saw unprecedented growth while being subject to a rapidly changing macroeconomic environment. First of all, we announced our ambition to grow into an integrated food solutions group, which expands on our mission to change the way people eat forever, which we've been following for the last 10 years. We've embarked on that journey about two years ago, when the fact that all of our revenue came from our core initiative business. Since first sharing this vision, we have diversified our top line meaningfully and now generate over 10% of our revenues from non-native sales, most notably from our ready-to-eat through the acquisition and subsequent scaling of factor and usage, as well as more broadly investing into the HelloFresh market. While we remain confident in the long-term growth opportunity of Nearkit, we have seen that our capabilities are very relevant to other food solutions as well and expect to further diversify our revenue mix in future years in order to become known as a fully integrated food solutions group beyond Nearkit owners. The last two years have been nothing short of extraordinary and subjected us to scaling challenges like very few other companies have seen before with such a physical supply chain in place, meaning that uh, we need to buy all the ingredients, we need to pack all the boxes, we need to physically ship them to customers rather than scaling a pure software today. In 2019 to 2022, we grew net revenues by over 4x from 1.8 to 7.6 billion euros with all geographies embarking on a massive scaling event. We grew the number of meals shipped from 281 million in 2019 to over 1 billion meals in 2022, which also represents a total for growth. We managed to do that not only by adding new customers in our existing geographies and launching in a number of new markets, but also by increasing the order rate of our customers by about 14% over that three-year period. So while the average customer ordered about 3.6 times per quarter in 2019, that number grew to an average of 4.1 orders per quarter in 2022. And a lot of this order rate increase has been driven by our relentless pursuit of improving the customer proposition. Most importantly here, has been the number of meals and the resulting recipe choice that we added up 71% since 2019 during a time when we also scaled the volumes going through our supply chain by about 4x. Most importantly, over that extraordinary three-year growth period, we not only maintained strong profitability throughout, but generated very significant cash flows from operations, about 1.37 billion euro. We used the majority of those proceeds 
to reinvest back into the business to build a robust innovation engine as we remain excited about the long-term growth opportunity. More specifically, we embarked on a significant expansion of our total addressable market and launched HelloFresh into five new markets, namely Denmark, Norway, Italy, Spain, and Ireland. In addition, we launched EveryPlate, our budget brand in Australia, and GreenChef, our premium brand, into the Netherlands and into the UK market. We also became active in the RTE vertical through two M&A deals by acquiring Factor in late 2020, U-Foods in late 2021, and then organically launched Factor into Canada in late 2022. All of these newly launched brands first consumed significant adjusted EBITDA and cash before turning profitable after three to five years on average. In addition, we invested very meaningfully into building out our future fulfillment network, scaling our fulfillment footprint by about 5x over that same period. Finally, we also started to return cash to shareholders with our first 125 million share buyback in early 2022, offsetting share-based compensation dilution and actually shrinking our share count year over year. All of these activities resulted in our customers benefiting from better service levels and greater choice, with customers adding on average 11% more meals to every order than in 2019. Cancellation rates also stabilized at record low levels post-pandemic. This has allowed us to pull further away from our direct competitors. In the U.S., for example, we increased our meal kit market share by 11 points over that period. A similar picture surfaces for our international market, where we expanded from already very high levels and gained another nine points market share making us a very clear winner in the meal kit industry. More recently, we used the strong muscles we developed over the past 11 years to focus on the RTE vertical and scale toward very clear market leadership in that segment as well, improving our U.S. market share by 52 points in direct-to-consumer ready-to-eat. Especially ready-to-eat has shown that our capabilities are both unique and very repeatable in adjacent direct-to-consumer growth verticals. Both for our milk kit as well as our RTE business, we benefit from a number of strong modes we have built and have grown into the undisputed leader in both categories. For example, our superior fulfillment networks and broad supplier base allow us to ship orders at unit costs that are vastly superior to any of our competitors. Our technology stack is custom-built and gives us advantages in every area of the business, the work of 10 years and hundreds of dedicated software engineers and data scientists. The same applies to our D2C growth engine, which we have shown not only works for meal kits, but also other food solutions, and which gives us a significant advantage against current and potential future competitors while being replicable to new and exciting growth verticals. With that in mind, let me focus on the more recent path and share some of the highlights of uh, full year 2022 
and Q4 2022. First of all, we saw continued strong revenue growth of about 18% to 7.6 billion euro, an increase of 1.6 billion euro in one year alone, or as much as we actually made in 2019 in total. Secondly, AOV increased by about 10% for full year 2022, and even more in Q4, showing a 12% year-over-year growth in the most recently completed quarter. Revenue growth was also positively impacted by high customer engagement, including high order rates, even beyond a strongly COVID-impacted Q4 2021 period, continued low cancellation rates, and positive early customer retention indicators. During a year in which macro and ensuing supply chain disruptions took center stage, we managed to expand our contribution margins slightly to 25.5% and more forcefully in Q4 2022, when we returned to about 27% contribution margin. This allowed us to post strong Q4 adjusted EBITDA margins of 8.5% or 160 million euro in absolute terms and 477 for a 6.3% adjusted EBITDA margin for the whole year. Given the environment of rampant inflation, high energy prices and inflationary wage trends, it's great to see that our investments in talent, processes and technology pay off handsomely. Finally, our multi-year CapEx investment program progressed well, and we have the peak of CapEx deployment behind us. As previously stated, this is an increase of more than 5x in fulfillment footprint versus 2019, and was entirely funded from internally generated cash while maintaining a strong balance sheet throughout. Let's take a look at meals and orders. In 2022, we continued to grow the number of meals shipped, up 8.5% for the full year, and up about 1% for Q4. This was driven by customers ordering more meals on average, as well as continued strong customer loyalty. Order rates were up another 1% over a strongly COVID-impacted comp in 2021, while active customers came down by about 1.5% in Q4 to 7.1 million. The decrease in active customers was driven mainly by our U.S. segment, which posted very strong profitability at the expense of a slightly shrinking active customer base. Active customers in international remained stable, gaining about 1% year-over-year in Q4 2022. Q4 2021 saw large scale downs, uh, sorry, large scale lockdowns in Europe and Australia, the beginning of the Omicron wave in the US and most of the population working from home. Against this extraordinary period, it's very encouraging to see that customer behavior stabilized year on year in Q4 2022. Two leading indicators which we show here, which have great predictive power for customer retention, 
are the early customer behavior and the customer cancellation rate. On the left-hand side, we show the cumulative orders per newly acquired customers for the first 10 weeks since acquisition. That's one of our most important internal early retention KPIs, which has great predictive power. You can see that cumulative 10-week orders remained at substantially higher levels than 2022 compared to 2019, but also shows the COVID boost in H2 2021 clearly, where you see that dark green line tick up to levels it hasn't been on before. The same trend can actually be observed in customer cancellation rate. The trend line between 2022 and 2019 is very positive and speaks to the great improvements we've made to our product. However, also here you can see the unique COVID-induced behavior observed in H2 2021, which we have been lapping in 2022. Hence, the key message here, we have materially improved underlying customer health metrics over 2019 benchmarks. We're tracking very closely to heavily COVID-impacted periods for all leading indicators, but being back to a more normalized seasonal swings now, and also sort of like as we look towards 2023. AOV developed very successfully over the course of 2022 and has been one of the major growth drivers for us. The increase in AOV has been one of the primary drivers of net revenue growth. AOV increased by about 10% in constant currency for the full year 2022 to over 60 euro, and even more forcefully for the Q4 period with about 12% constant currency year-over-year -year growth to 63 euro. The drivers for that AOV increase were manifold. We saw positive contribution from customers increasing the number of meals per order. We featured a higher share of surcharge meals on the menu as we offered greater recipe choice and those were met with great uptake by customers. And we've also had a positive effect on the price adjustments from earlier in 2022, which contributed to a higher revenue run rate per box. All of these observations apply to both the U.S. and our international segment, but had a more meaningful impact on the U.S. with additional positive AOV expansion through a higher share of factory meals, which are typically priced above the price of a meal kit. So taking all of these trends together, namely strong and increasing customer order rates, strongly elevated AOVs, and broadly flat customer count throughout H2 2022. This translates to HelloFresh showing year-over-year -year revenue growth of about 18% for the full year to over 7.6 billion euro in constant currency, which again, adding 1.6 billion in one year is about the same that we did in total revenue in 2019. For Q4, year-over-year -year revenue growth came in at 11%, growing from about 1.6 billion per quarter in 21 to about 1.9 billion euro per quarter in 2022. If we look at the U.S. segment, U.S. constant currency growth amounted to over 15% in Q4, 
driven by very strong order rates and high AOVs, while actually observing a decline in active customers. On the international segment, growth was more pedestrian at 6%, but actually driven by an increase in active customers, stable order rates, and a much more measured AOV expansion year over year. With that, I'll pass over to Christian to walk you through margin expansion and the outlook. Okay, thank you, Dominic. <clears throat> so, warm um, welcome to every one of you. Um, you have heard me saying that a few times in the past, so excuse me for being somewhat repetitive. We've done a very good job in 2022 to effectively contain procurement expenses as percentage of revenue despite underlying food price inflation of meaningfully north of 10% and our direct competition raising prices actually by up to 20% in certain markets. If you remember, going into 2022, we thought that even after taking mitigating measures, there would be around about two percentage points downside risk to margin because of underlying ingredient price inflation. Now, we ended up keeping this cost item flat at 34 percentage points of revenue. This is where our strength in a data-driven menu setting process, a well-diversified supplier base, and overall decent pricing power came through and helped us to protect margins. Now, when you look at our fulfillment expenses, you see that also here, we have fully delivered the productivity increases we promised last year. For the full year, we have decreased our fulfillment expenses by 0.5 percentage points of revenue to 40.4%. This improvement has meaningfully accelerated throughout the year. In Q4, we improved fulfillment expenses as percentage of revenue by a whopping 2.6 percentage points year on year is 39.1%. Especially our U.S. business contributed meaningfully to this positive trend as we rolled back COVID-related inefficiencies, quickly ramped up new fulfillment centers to target productivity, and are well on track across both segments to increase labor productivity across, labor, labor productivity across the board it started to rationalize older, less efficient production capacity. This positive trend in productivity increases and overall decreasing relative fulfillment expenses is something we should expect to continue in 2023. The result of our strong performance across both procurement and fulfillment is that we've managed to expand contribution margin for the full year 2022 to 25.5%, despite high inflationary pressure across various cost lines. And in Q4, we brought contribution margin back to close to 27%, two percentage points up from Q4 2021. This means we've ended the year on a good level from which to drive further year-on-year -year contribution margin expansion in 2023. 
Now let's talk about the development of our marketing expenses. In Q4, you've seen broadly a continuation of the trend discussed on our Q3 earnings forum, i.e. somewhat higher relative marketing expenses, which are circa two percentage points of revenue higher than in 2023. These are driven by three effects. One is there's a COVID effect still in a comparative period. Secondly, some tech inflation due to an overall reasonably soft macro and consumer environment. And then thirdly, the ramp up of new or recent geographies and brands in international and of sector in the US, which at this early stage in the life cycle generate higher relative marketing expenses. However, please keep also in mind that we increased AOV by 12% in Q4, i.e. those customers we acquired a somewhat higher tech will now generate on average 12% higher AOV on every order they give us compared to the customers acquired a year ago. This means ROI on our growth marketing spend remains solid. For every dollar we deploy into marketing, we achieve industry-leading overall payback periods of about six months. And when you put all of this together, you see that we actually somewhat outperformed latest market expectations for EBITDA in Q4. We delivered 160 million of EBITDA in Q4, 22% higher than in Q4 2021. This brought our EBITDA for the full year to 477 million. Especially our US segment performed well from a profitability perspective, delivering an EBITDA margin of close to 12% and taking our US ready to eat business to profitability. Now, before we turn to the outlook for the year, let's also have a look at our cash flows and liquidity profiles. We generated a solid cash flow from operations of 313 million. This compares to total cash outflow from investments of 444 million. That cash outflow from investments primarily consists of two things. One, around about 480 million of capex. 2022, therefore, marks our peak capex year. The rest, as some of you may remember, represents the first earnout tranche paid for for the factor acquisition, which was paid in March 2022. Our free cash flow, cash flow from operations minus capex in 2022, was a negative 104 million. We expect free cash flow to turn positive again in H2 this year. I want to touch base on this in a bit more detail in a minute. Lastly, please also don't forget that we've returned 125 million of cash to our shareholders via a share buyback in 2022. This means that our share count has actually decreased. Also in the future, we look for similar opportunities, which will further boost our free cash flow per share over longer periods of time. Lastly, let me turn to our outlook for 2023 to try to put it into context. In line with broader e-commerce trends, we envisage relatively modest revenue growth in 2023 of 2 to 10% on a constant currency basis. 
This is driven by three things. One, us exiting 2022 with a slightly lower active customer number than initially anticipated. Secondly, a reasonably tough growth benchmark still in Q1, where the comparative period was still impacted by COVID effects in a number of key markets. And thirdly, an expectation of overall consumer environment across our market will remain somewhat subdued for most of the year. As a consequence, we expect orders to be broadly stable for the full year and constant currency revenue growth to be primarily driven by continued year-on-year growth in average order value in 2023. From an order perspective, we expect ready to eat to be the biggest source of order growth in 2023. From 2024 onwards, then, we are targeting overall order and revenue growth to move more in lockstep again. The top line, from EBITDA perspective, we are targeting a moderate increase at the midpoint versus the $477 million delivered in 2022. We are targeting a range of 460 to $540 million. We are planning to achieve this through Number one, modest revenue growth, as just discussed. And secondly, a continuation of successful contribution margin expansion, primarily driven by efficiencies and productivity increases in our production activity. And this is partly offset by temporarily higher marketing expenses as percentage of revenue. This is high not effect. This absolute EBITDA guidance is based on the current US dollar euro rate of 107, which is one of our three percentage points softer than the average rate in 2022. Just as a rough rule of thumb, a 10% softer US dollar reduces our euro reported EBITDA by 45 million and vice versa. Now, please keep in mind that our 2023 guidance implies that we will have grown revenues by more than four times since 2019 and adjusted EBITDA by more than 10 times, while our share price is broadly flat versus the end of 2019. Let's also have a look what we see as intra-year trends in 2023 and how they may potentially shape up. While H1 still faces a number of headwinds, we are confident that we can start to show expanding revenue growth, expanding margins, and positive free cash flow per share from H2 onwards again. I.e., the trough of the current transition period is close from our perspective, even if the overall consumer environment will not improve near-term from here. That means for Q1, <clears throat> we expect constant currency revenue growth in the lower single-digit area compared to the strong Q1 2022, which was still subject to prolonged lockdowns in Europe and in the US as a result of the Omicron wave. We also expect into one quarterly active customers to be down missing a digit year and year, but meaningfully up substantially versus Q4. In the time Q1 2023 will be below <coughs> Q1 2022, indicatively we expect circa 30 to 40 million of EBITDA in Q1. This is driven by a front-loading of certain marketing activities which is seasonally attractive our eyes during that period. We expect this 
die Benefits, liebe Dago, in Q2, in Q4. In H2, we expect an expansion of all key KPIs again, namely step up in revenue growth back towards 10% and beyond, as there's no COVID effect anymore in a comparative period. And we will open our new ready to eat production facility in Arizona, which will allow further growth from current capacity constraint levels. Also, our new ready to eat facility in Australia has just been launched and can be ramped up from Q2 onwards. Secondly, we expect in H2 a year-on-year -year expansion of our adjusted EBITDA margin and therefore also higher absolute adjusted EBITDA in H2. Driven by one, continuous progress on fulfillment efficiencies. Secondly, further AOV expansion at stable tax. And then thirdly, no headwinds from GNA ramp-up run rate effects anymore. And then thirdly, and importantly, we are planning to deliver positive and growing free cash flow per share again from H2 onwards. Now on that last point, I would like to drill a bit deeper into our CapEx development and outlook on the very last slide here. 2022 marked our peak CapEx year. Even so, we ended up spending somewhat less than the 450 to 500 initially envisaged. This is driven by the fact that we deferred or shelved some discretionary capacity expansion projects given the overall economic environment. Irrespectively, by now, we are at the back end of our multi-year capacity expansion program, which we have fully funded from internally generated operating cash flow. In H1 2023, we will still see meaningful capex for the completion of the project such as the US factor facility I just mentioned, or our modern and efficient fulfillment centers in both Germany and the UK. By H2, these projects will have substantially progressed and we see CapEx as percentage of value start to step down. From 2024 onwards, CapEx will further come down, getting towards the, by 2025, with the 2.5% of revenue we have discussed previously. At that point, CapEx will primarily comprise certain optimization projects, automation, and selected high conviction growth investments into areas such as ready to eat in Europe. So with that, we look forward to your questions. And the first question comes from Joe Barnett Lamp, Credit Suisse. Please go ahead. Excellent. Thank you. Yeah, my first question is just relating to the, the, the CAC profile of the group. Obviously, CACs are rising in the post-COVID era. Um, you obviously explained about the higher LTV dynamic as well. But could you just talk about the trend in CACs? Are they still rising or have they now plateaued? And if you could talk a little bit about the CACs across the two divisions for 4Q and into 2023. Thank you. Hey, it's Christian here. So on the <clears throat> on the CAC profile, effectively what we have seen towards the back end of last year, a certain um, step up, as we discussed on our Q3 call already, and that that uh, continues into Q4. And effectively what we've seen so far in Q1 is uh, that 
CACs are holding up um, at, um, at around that level. And that trend is relatively similar across our two segments. Excellent. Thank you very much. The next question comes from Andrew Gwynn, BNP. Please go ahead. Yeah, good morning, team. Uh, on the on the bias, well, suggesting this morning that the group is prioritising earnings over top line. So, I'm just wondering, firstly, is that the right interpretation? It's a little bit surprising, to be honest. So, just help us understand the reason for that. Thank you very much. Hey, Andrew. So, I think um, our investment framework is always very much ROI based, right? So we see where can we invest a dollar most profitably over a certain investment period. I think what happens in time where volatility is higher, in time where uncertainty around your margin profile, around CAC levels, etc., is higher, you obviously try to look at shorter time horizons for investment decisions. And so that definitely means that um, we've, over the last uh, probably six to nine months, have re-evaluated like some of the investment frameworks that we have. And on balance, I think, you know, um, we want to make sure we protect our margins, but um, sort of like our long-term investment framework always remains ROI-driven. And uh, if uh, somebody misunderstood that, then I apologize. It's just that I think the big difference is that in times with different metrics of subject to higher volatility, we typically... Um, try to shorten the investment horizon and not basically give as much value to um, future behavior of either customers or margin expansion, etc. when you make those investment decisions. But I think that's just a, a normal ROI-driven investment behavior. It, indeed, it makes sense, obviously, a higher cost of capital. Um, the 10 billion 2025 ambition, is that still intact? I mean, obviously, that's the obvious follow-on question. Thank you. And with its question, so, um, yes, that um, those mid-term targets, they stand. Um, when you think about it, that implies effectively for um, a touch above a 10% figure for both 24 and 25 um, for us, which we, we feel comfortable with. Okay, great. Thank you very much. The next question comes from Adrian Dessart here, Bank of America. Yeah. Good morning, everyone. Hopefully you can uh, hear me okay. So a couple of questions for me, please. Um, so I'm not quite sure I understand why customer numbers are, are coming below expectations when marketing spending is actually running higher. So if you could just maybe help us clarify that point again. Um, then on the Q1 EBITDA guidance, 30 to 40 million euros, uh, again, I'm not quite sure I understood why it would be down versus the Q4 trend of like 160 despite customer numbers uh, really, really growing. Um, and then recently, <clears throat> you announced the exit of uh, Japan. Um, I'm just wondering if there are any other geographies, perhaps, that you have in mind that you could uh, potentially rationalize. Thank you. Hey, Edwin, it's um, it's question here, so let me um, try to take that in, um, in order. So, um, 
Um, on the first point, customer numbers, um, your comments on customer numbers. So um, from what we see here, yeah, I think where we came out in, in Q4, frankly, is pretty bang on what we saw in terms of expectations for um, um, sales side and, um, and buy side. When you look at the most recent one, so from our perspective, this is more in line with the potentially have a different perspective. On EBITDA in Q1, um, and sorry if I wasn't precise on the call just now, um, we have front-loaded um, um, certain of our marketing activities. Yeah, Q1, as you know, is a very decent period for us to achieve high ROI on these, um, on these marketing activities. However, that is basically um, upfront, so to speak, and then we see the payback in increasing EBITDA over the set of subsequent um, quarters from there. So this will impact positively um, EBITDA growth um, Q2 to Q4, but we will see the impact of, um, of um, growth investment in, in Q1, and that's reflected in my comment on our um, on our Q1 um, EBITDA. Now on um, on our Japan exit, this is in line with what Dominic had referred to um, in terms of us being an ROI-driven organization and being disciplined with um, how we spend capital. So um, when we look at our growth budget, we look obviously at the portfolio of our brands and, um, and markets and stack rank those and then um, focus on the ones where from a risk-weighted perspective uh, we see the highest ROI, but then also are ready to not push through on um, on areas which don't meet those um, those uh, risk-weighted ROI hurdles, and that's why we um, basically made that decision with respect to Japan. Okay, thank you. And just one clarification as well on the customer numbers for Q1. So did you say um, down mid-single digit versus uh, Q1 last year, but up meaningfully from Q4? So about 8 million for Q1, is that the right number? Correct. Thank you. So, dear questioners, just one quick remark um, before the next um, questionnaire is up. Please um, limit your um, question to one per person. Thanks very much. So, the next questionnaire is Luke Holbrook, Morgan Stanley. Please go ahead. Yeah, good morning, everyone. Uh, just a, a question, really, on um, your guidance for revenue this year. Am I right in assuming that that 2% growth at the bottom end of your guidance is effectively assuming flat volumes because it looks like you're carrying through a couple of percentage points benefits from pricing from 2022 to 2023. And is that that right to read it at the top end of your guidance is almost mid-single-digit price increases? Is that the right way of reading it? Thank you. Yeah, look, it's, um, it's, it's Christian here. So what do you see on um, the average order value? That's basically the positive trend that you've seen from us in 2022, that will continue to, to carry through. And that by itself has a certain positive impact on um, on um, our revenue growth on a constant currency basis this year. And then, yes, at the, when you look at the bottom end of, um, of our guidance, this um, would not assume positive order growth in 2023. Okay, thanks. So, so that's just to clarify, so the way of read flat volumes at the bottom end, and uh, price increases rather than the top end. That's the right way of reading it. 
not necessarily price increases at the top end. I would say um, from AOV perspective, both bookends look relatively similar yeah, in terms of um, um, AOV contribution or, or AOV growth contribution to that overall revenue growth. And then the variable is really the underlying order growth, yeah, which um, is the difference between lower end and upper end. Okay, thank you. The next question comes from Clément Genelot, Brian Gagné and Co. Yeah, thanks. Maybe just along the customer base uh, in the U.S., just to, to really elaborate uh, a little bit more, is it driven by the more, more or less customers and maybe as the declining trend really eased, nor what the food inflation have picked um, in the U.S.? Thank you. So on the U.S. customer numbers, um, I think what we saw in the second half of the year is that existing customer behavior held up really well. So existing customer behavior, as I've shown before, some of the early leading indicators like 10 weeks cumulative orders or the cancellation rate, I think with a massive improvement over 2019, and that applies to both international and the U.S., but definitely U.S. active customers have been subject to that development. What we did see in H2 um, 2022 in the U.S. is that customer acquisition costs came up um, quite a bit. And so um, much lower customer acquisition costs in our RTE factor vertical. So we actually allocated a lot more of our marketing spend towards factor rather than HelloFresh. Um, and that, I think, uh, has been driving up RTE customers, driving down slightly our meal kit customers, but in the meal kit business, obviously, with very, very strong profitability. And if you look at revenue growth, it was also higher in the U.S. than in international, not driven by active customers, but actually by AOVs and um, the overall margin profile that we have achieved in the U.S. Um, we felt this was the best ROI that we can get on the incremental investment dollar, and uh, we'll always revaluate where we actually see the best ROI on our incremental advertising dollars. And we did see that in RTE and also more in Europe than in the U.S. in the second half of last year. So the next question comes from Nisa Nazi, Deutsche Bank. Uh, great, thanks. Um, I would just like a bit more color on the, the sequential decline of the customers in Q4. Um, was that something that you could have avoided maybe with stepping up your marketing um, expenses, or is that sort of um, an indication of maybe the tough macro? Some color there would be great, and I guess linked to that, based on the customer additions you are seeing thus far in Q1, Within the wide revenue range that you've given us, is it too early to say sort of where you can end the year, given, I guess, how important Q1 is to set the stage for the rest of the, the year? Some color there would be great. Thank you. And is that, it's, um, it's Krishna here. So on um, the um, uh, sequential customer development in Q4, um, again, we have strict ROI targets for our um, um, growth marketing spend, uh, which 
remember what we had discussed in the past, so we um, are happy to deploy um, growth marketing spend if we can reach on a blended payback of around about um, six months and then at one and a half to two times our initial um, invest back. Yeah, where we see that um, opportunity, we are um, we're deploying that spend, but only up to that level. Yeah, and what you've seen from us in terms of the marketing uh, invest in Q4 effectively reflected um, how we size that opportunity in, in Q4. So to your question, yes, yes, in theory, we could have spent more on marketing and then that would have brought in more customers, but it would not have met um, or it would have risked not to meet our, um, our ROI criteria that I just outlaid. With respect to the, um, the the breadth of the range that you um, alluded to in your your, your, your question, um, um, of the breadth of the range of our 2023 guidance, we think this is appropriate, like in an overreasonably uncertain macro environment. So um, that's why we we went with that um, with those goals. Great, thanks. The next question comes from Marcus Diebel, JPM. Hi, everyone. Um, sorry, one more question on, on the Q4 for customers. Um, just wanted to question the, the visibility that, that you really have, because on the Q3 call, a question you were talking about lower to mid-single-digit growth in, in customers. Um, now they come in slightly uh, lower um um, yeah, could you maybe tell us a little bit more about what what has changed um, between October and now in terms of like you driving the business and allocating marketing spend just on Q4 and and now on Q1 um, eight million uh, customers? Could you give us also the marketing number um, broadly for for Q1? Yeah, and to we put the eight million into into um, um, perspective. Thank you. Marcus, yeah. So um, um, obviously the um, uh, indicative guidance that I've given you end of October, early November, uh, that um, um, there were two or three months this ago. And effectively, those two months um, shaped up as I just described in, um, in this last question, and that's why we overall ended up with a Q4 active customer number a touch below what um, um, what we had originally. Um, targeted for that uh, for that quarter. Now for Q1, um, yes, you and here, this around um, about 8 million active customers um, uh, would be slightly down versus um, Q1 2022, which again has some uh, COVID here in some of our biggest, uh, biggest markets. Nevertheless, from a sequential perspective, and that's obviously what you need to look at when you um, try to put our marketing spend into perspective. This is quite a um, quite a step up versus where we ended before. Thank you. Perfect. The next question comes from Nick Coulter, City. Hi. Good morning. Um, I have a few, but to respect the one question rule. Um, could you reassure us on the building blocks or bridge to the 10% margin uh, target for FY25, please? Um, I guess it's a slightly more aggressive uh, profile than perhaps we were envisaging um, previously. Thank you. Yeah, Nick, it's Christian here. And um, actually, I want to take the opportunity of our capital market day 
in a couple of weeks we'll um, also go through that with um with in a bit more um, more detail uh, but um from a high level, yeah, without trying to steal too much thunder of um, when we sit down in one or two weeks from now, um, effectively of those four points expansion versus um, versus current levels, we feel confident that um, from a contribution margin perspective, there is more than two points um, of expansion that we can can clip. And yeah. then from a marketing perspective, which again is at higher levels versus where we see ourselves uh, in the midterm, um, there's also one and a half to two points that we, um, we see certainly as, um, as potential. Again, um, very much looking forward to go through that in more detail in a couple of days. Okay. And assuming on a, on a flat grace margin profile, you're not expecting any more pressure there? We um, so from um, um, ingredient price inflation, we there's still some inflation out there. Uh, so inflation has not dropped to zero, but certainly in, sure. in terms of yeah. it was less than uh, less than when we were the same point um, point last year um, on a so the the biggest let's say headwind we've got behind us right? and um, and. That's also how our near as well as the midterm um, planning is then based on. Brilliant. Thank you. Thanks so much. Okay. Thank you. As there are no further questions, I'd like to hand back to the speakers for some closing remarks. Thanks for attending our Fulia 2022 results. Um, lots of questions for Christian today, very few for me. Um, I look forward to sharing more about the strategic update, how we see the company grow until 2025 and beyond during our Capital Markets Day um, in a couple of weeks in Berlin. I think uh, till then it's good to remind ourselves that we've gone through an immense growth period over the last few years. There's a transition period that started in the second half of the year where we definitely um, see uh, a lot of uh, things with uh, slightly different uh, eyes, but uh, with very clear sight towards uh, returning to strong growth, to strong margin development, and with our long-term growth targets intact. So looking forward to sharing more details on that over the course of our capital market day in future Thank you.